We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. So, um, Paul, last week, uh, gave us chapters 5 through 7. He introduced them to us as the Princess Bride chapters. And uh, chapter 8 is going to top it off. This is like the ultimate call, uh, uh, the, the ultimate like as you wish chapter, okay? In language of the Princess Bride. And it starts off with God's people uh, rejecting God as their king. And then ultimately God saying, as you wish, okay? Um, And so we're going to talk about what does it look like to reject the Lord? And um, and, and we're going to break that down together this time. Um, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has verbally said to me, uh, I just in my life to reject God. Have you you ever met anyone like that, that has been that point, like that specific? Yet, um, we do it a lot. And we're going to learn from the Israelites and how they did it. And we're going to learn how to not reject the Lord uh, in our life. So, um, if you were to break this into some parts, it would be the first half. What does it look like to reject the Lord? And then the second half, we're going to see this surprise, as you wish, ending. Um, and how that affects our life. So you're taking that title so you can remember it as you wish. Would you meet me in chapter 8? Chapter 8. So, so far, here's where we've been in 1 Samuel. Sometimes people remember things by seasons. A lot of folks are watching shows these days, okay? So, so, so far we've seen season 1, which would be a prophet is in place. The prophet is Samuel. That's, we've gotten to know him since his birth. And in this chapter, we'll see it's like all the way till his old age. Uh, the next season that we're going to see is uh, a king in God's place. And so the Israelites are going to choose king on their own terms, um, according to their liking. This is a bad season. Um, and then chapter uh, 3 or season 3, which we'll pick up after Christmas Sometime will be um, a king after God's own heart. And so um, this book, we can think of it like that. Here's verse 1 of chapter 8. This is the word of the Lord. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. All right, so 
In terms of uh, sermons, every pastor has got to determine where he's going to like park his car um, with a text. And we are going to park in this, this phrase of give us a king like the other nations. And we're going to break that down into how did the Israelites reject God? And we're going to say there's four ways that they rejected him today. So let's, let's go after this one together. Rejecting the king, the first one is by comparison. Rejecting the king by comparing. Okay, so this, this, this people, God's people, the Israelites, they looked around. They assessed the situation. And they said, give us a king like all the other nations. Which, my friends, is a classic case of comparison. Right? And I like to say, comparison is the ultimate killjoy. When was the last time, personal question, when was the last time when, when you compared and it brought life and joy to you? <laughs> right? Almost never. Almost never. And I would say probably the easiest or the lowest hanging fruit with regards to comparison would be a discussion about body image and social status. So let's just pretend we're all like approaching our bathroom mirrors. We look in the mirror and there is a tendency to evaluate ourselves based off a standard that either you put on yourself or, or we see, right? We see in social media or magazines or, you know, movies or whatever. It doesn't help us. And when we look in the mirror, if we're walking in the flesh, we begin this, this immediate spiral downward of comparison. We, we think, um, when we look at ourselves, we say, I wish that something was different about me. And I would say 100% of us wish that something was different about our bodies or about our life, Right? Either our nose is too big or too long or we're, our arms are too short or we're just too short in general or too skinny or too round or I wish that I had more money so I could dress better so I could look like this guy or that guy or this girl or whatever. The tendency for us humans is to compare. And what we're seeing in this text is that the Israelites weren't content they wanted to look elsewhere and as they were comparing and, then, and saying, give us a king like other nations. Comparison is a form of rejecting God. It's a way to say, Lord, what you've given me, I don't like and I'm not content with it. So how do we fight this? How do we fight this aspect of rejecting God by comparison. Uh, there's this old preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, he was English, and he would say, stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. You ever heard that? To pre Don't listen to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. And so a way to combat a spirit of comparison or a spirit of like being discontent about everything is to preach to yourself, not listen to yourself, but preach the truth of the gospel. All right, come on, that's a little bit too conceptual. 
I think a great verse to write on a three by five card, stick it on your mirror, is the truth of this, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? When we say, ah, I think my nose is a little bit too long, what we're really saying is, God, I think you made a mistake with my nose. I wish you would have done it differently. <laughs> but to fill our minds and hearts with truth today, you didn't make a mistake with me. I am fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Amen? Are you with me? So friends, God loves you. He made you. He relishes in the fact that you are his workmanship. You are like his poem that he uniquely crafted. And he believes, and the scriptures testify this, that if you have the spirit, you uniquely contribute to the needs of the body. You can uniquely minister to those around you because God has uniquely made you. So, get excited. <laughs> so that's the first way. The first way to unpack this idea of, of rejecting God is rejecting God by comparison. Let's look at the second one. Rejecting the king by blending. By blending. What do I mean here? Okay, so the Israelites, a little bit deeper of a dive. When they said, give us a king like all other nations... Was the actual request a sin? In asking for a king, were they asking wrongly? Deuteronomy 17, you don't have to go there, but just like jot it down in the margins. There is a prophecy that Moses writes about. It says that when the Israelites, when they come back in the land, they're going to conquer the land. They're going to settle. They're going to go through a time of judges and when the time is right, they will ask for a king. And they will say, give us a king like other nations. So God, through scripture, has said, hey, they, these people are going to ask for a king. Let's give him a king. Okay? Um, let me read it for you um, in um, verse 14 and 15. It says, I will set a king over me like other nations that are bound may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord or God will choose. So there it is, okay? But it was the manner in which they asked. So the, the king of kings, like God, he said, I'm going to put a king in place. They wanted a kind of king that was different than the other nations. They wanted to be like the other nations, but they wanted to be distinct in a way that was ungodly. So Deuteronomy 17. Hang with me here, okay? Deuteronomy 17 says, hey, they're going to ask for a king. Let's give them a king. And then the kind of king that God wants is detailed in this chapter. First of all, it's, I want a man of character. And there's a whole ink spilled about what kind of king is God's king, okay? And then it says, I want this king I don't, I don't just want like him to be nice. I actually I want his time to be used in a specific way that is not going to be like the other kings. It's not going to be like the other nations. It's actually going to be viewed as weird or distinct. Watch what this king is supposed to do. 
when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, this is Deuteronomy 17, he shall copy for himself the book of the law, the book of the law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. This is how the king is to lead. This is how he's supposed to spend his time. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and of these statutes and doing them, his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he, his children in Israel. What's the king supposed to do? He's to park it in his throne, and he's to write out the Bible. I want this guy to know the scriptures. I want him to be a man of the word. Did the Israelites want that kind of a king? Were there? Ah, no, they didn't. I don't want a king like that. I just, we want a king like other nations. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be distinct like that. We want to blend in. So, hey, Christian, hey, father, or employee, or mother, or whatever, have you ever felt like, I just don't want to be different anymore? I can feel that, like, strain on me, the tension of being a citizen of heaven. I just kind of want to blend in and be like a normal citizen like everyone else. When the bros get together, I just wanna I just wanna be a bro. Like I don't want to be distinct. Perhaps like us, you're you're approaching the holiday season, right? Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas is coming, you're making plans. And and perhaps like you're getting to grow a little anxious about it. A little nervous about what does that time look like? Because perhaps there are non-believers in your family and you just want like things to go well. And so you're like, oh, I just, I just want to blend in. I just want everything to be smooth. I don't want there to be like waves at all. And I don't want to cause them. And so I'm just going to take a back seat to this and be cool. I don't want to be weird. I just want to blend. Uh, that feeling, that's common to Christians, okay? It's common to Christians. Um, listen to how a mother comforted her 13-year-old daughter in this letter that she wrote. Uh, she calls this feeling otherness. Let's see if you um, can connect with this. Dear child of my heart, today you came to be sad, and I wanted to comfort you. Your friends spoke of owning things you do not own. Watching movies you do not watch. Going to places you do not go. And wearing things that you do not wear. Even in the telling, they spoke in ways you do not speak. You were feeling very sharply your otherness today. It's the identity of the mom identifying what's, what's going on in her child. How do you think she comforts her? Let's, let's, let's see. She writes, Because I love you, I ask this of you. 
lean into your otherness. Learn the contours of its face. Feel out the steady grip of its hand. Because I intend to be your lifelong companion. I mean in your otherness, not mother. It is a truer friend than those who surround you now. More than I want to comfort you, I want you to be an alien and a stranger. Jen Wilkin. Isn't that a comforting letter? Isn't that encouraging, even challenging? Like this mom, when, when the daughter approached her and she was struggling, she didn't like get caught, like feels and oh, okay, I'll get you that. You can go there. I just don't want you to feel different. But the mom said, lean into your otherness. Uh, to be clear, Christians shouldn't have a desire to be different just for different sake. Like, we're, I just want to be different. That's my identity. Um, what we're talking about is a hunger for holiness. That believers, they want to be Christ-like. They yearn for it. And so the Israelites, when asking for a king to be like other nations, and they're wanting to blend in, what they're saying is, we have an aversion to holiness. We don't like it that God is asking us to pursue holiness. We just want to blend in. And in this, in this they are rejecting God. It's so easy, isn't it? You think of Thanksgiving or Christmas or really any social situation. And if you're like an animal, you just want to be a chameleon. You just want to like kind of just blend in along the paint colors of the wall. But really, what the Lord is calling his church to do and to be is a people that are distinct, apart from, set apart from the world to not blend in. So just to have maybe one immediate connection um, Wilson's, thank you for coming and like, introducing and, and, and casting the vision of this purity conference. Fellas, it would be so easy to be embarrassed about the call for purity in our life. To apologize about, like, to our friends at work and to say, yeah, you know, I'm going to this, like, purity conference, you know, and like to almost shrink back. But to be proud of the calling that God has on our lives to be distinct. You could be like this. Hey, I'm going to this conference a couple weekends, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to help me grow in my relationship with the Lord. It's going to help me and equip me to just stay faithful to my wife. And your coworkers, the people around you, would be like, wow, that's kind of weird. It's different. Not everyone is so excited about fidelity these days. But Christians are. They're excited about staying faithful and pure to their brides. It's beautiful. There's other things. There's more that can set us apart in our life. How we spend our time. How we spend our money. Just the way of our life our rhythms, how we speak, what, what we get excited about, um, what we encourage or discourage our children to be like or do, right? 
all these things fall under the scope of, of holiness. But in general, our heart's desire, if it is an aversion to holiness, what we're really doing is we're rejecting God. That's what we're learning in 1 Samuel 8. So friends, follow the Lord and don't reject him by blending in. Here's number three, rejecting our king by gimmick, by gimmick. So I'm praying you would remember 1 Samuel 8 for the rest of your life. This is the turning point in Israel's history when they wanted a king on their own terms. Um, if we could just summarize their attitude in this chapter um, like this, it would, be, it, it would go like this. Uh, this ain't working. How about we get a king? Okay? Um, and if we get a king, maybe our lives will get better. It's kind of a summary of, of their attitude there. Okay? And if we step back and looked at all of 1 Samuel for a second, we would go, oh, they're, they, they're not getting it quite yet, are they? Like they did the same thing in chapter 4. Right? They're having trouble. And so they said, uh, how about we try getting the ark? Right? Let's, let's, let's fix our lives by superstition. Did that work for them? No. Okay, so then they're experiencing more difficulty. And they go, uh, let's fix our lives by politically getting a king over us. And then things will go well for us. Okay? And that... What we're saying this morning is they had an ultimate like lust for substituting. They have learned that what God is seeking after. So their sin, which is our sin today, ready? Is that our thirst can be for methods or gimmicks and not God himself. Anytime we face a, a trouble, a challenge, um, even as a church as a whole, we could be like, well, we're probably not this, or this isn't happening, because, well, we just need to do this, the, 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 right? Gimmicks. But God wants his people to go to him and say, nothing is moving until the power of God starts working. Every time I come up here before I preach, it's John 15 in my heart. I say, I can do nothing unless you move. That's, what, that's like John 15, 4. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, instead of saying, oh, let's get a king. What should they have done? What should they have done? They should have dropped their knees in prayer. And stop trying to manipulate external situations by pulling strings here and there. They should have sought the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom. Right? And we do the same thing. We try to change. We try to move the chess pieces externally in our marriages, in our churches, in our workplaces, wherever, instead of Asking the Lord for a heart transformation. Lord, you're going to have to change me from within in order for this thing to happen. Lord, would you work with me? Would you move in my life?
what we're saying is your weapon, my weapon is prayer. Gimmicks, not strategies or things like that. It is prayer. We sing that, don't we? That our weapon is, uh, that our melody is a weapon. Uh, listen to uh, Psalm 51. This is re- same sort of heart is reflected in David's prayer. It says, uh, verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. So there are external things that you can do. Watch what God is looking for. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. So friends, Let's not reject the Lord by gimmick. And here's the last one. Rejecting the king by substituting. Rejecting the king by substituting. So ultimately, just bottom line, these people rejected God by substituting a king in place for God. And this is how the story unfolds that we see it. Put your finger on verse 6, and let's read it together, okay? So after they ask for a king, Samuel um, is disturbed and prays about it to the Lord. This is the Lord's response. Here we go. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, watch this, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So is this a good thing or a bad thing in verse 1 Samuel 8? It's a bad thing, right? So flat are saying, I don't want you, God, to be my king. I want someone else. That's what they're doing. I don't want the rule and reign of God to be upon my life. Let's Let's find a bro to do that instead. So if, if, that, if, if, if that is, again, too conceptual, um, all it means is straight up. They said, I don't like God in my life. I don't like his leadership in my life. And I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't like how he does things. I don't like how he works. I don't like how he thinks. I want something else. This is a way to communicate complete and utter rejection of God. Okay? Why were they saying this? How could this be? Um, Hannah and I, we're doing, we're reading through Isaiah these days. And um, chapter 55 just caught my attention this week where it says that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They, at the core of their heart, are saying, I think my thoughts and my ways are better. (laughs) And so I reject his thoughts and his ways. So there we are. There's, There's unpacking four aspects of rejecting God by comparing, by blending, by gimmick, by substitution. Um, What do we do from here, right? Like, okay, that's how they rejected God. Um, 
There's a, there's a few responses that I want to just be clear in how to lay out how the Christian should respond to this, okay? So the liberal church would say this. You've heard this before. Um, all are welcome. You don't have to change with regards to rejecting God. You be, you be you, liberal church. Far from the Lord. Far from the A monistic would say, before you come, before you come, hold on, hold on, stop, stop. You need to get your life right. So don't do anything. First, become a good Christian and then approach the church, approach God. Like, that's what you need to do first. Moralistic church, far from God, far from the scriptures. Um, We are easy to think like that. But a church that embraces the gospel, where the scriptures are the center, where you read it rightly with Christ in the middle, would be something like this. Yes, come. Come where you are. And let's invite Jesus into this. And let's allow him to change us. And we'll never be the same. So to pray like this, Lord, Not just, poof, I really need to work on those things. Comparing and blending and I got to get better. You ever said that? Me too. That's, That's the moralistic response. The Christian comes to God and says, Lord, I'm being convicted of comparing, of blending, of of substituting. I haven't loved your rule and reign in my life. And I'm coming to you and saying, Lord, forgive me. Would you cleanse me from that dark shadow? I want my desires to be your desires, but I need your son Jesus to transform me from within. Would you do that? I need Christ to work in me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so the good news, which is coming, here we go. So far, So far, a discussion of rejecting God can be a heavy, heavy topic. So here's the good news, okay? It starts a little bit bad. Because we have all rejected God, because we've all been there, we deserve rejection from God. That's what we deserve. Um, Rejection is not uh, foreign to God. He's not surprised by the Israelites' rejection. He's not surprised by our rejection. He actually planned for it. In that he he sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the form of flesh, to be rejected. He took on flesh, lived a perfect life. And in Matthew 27, 15, it tells the story about this ultimate rejection of 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 people from Israel, right? It's the story of Pilate. When he's got the opportunity to spring prisoner, okay? And so he brings two guys, Barabbas and Jesus, who is called the Christ, before the people. And he says, I get to release one of these men this year. Who shall it be? Barabbas, who is notorious for his crimes. And Jesus the Christ, 
Which one, people? And all of them go, Barabbas! Release Barabbas! And the question that remains from Pilate, not a believer, which all, all the gospel writers do this. They, they, they insert these, these amazing, like, ironic questions where, where they, have, they have amazing answers, but they're not answered. The, the reader is supposed to answer it, okay? So Pilate goes, but what evil has this man done, Jesus the Christ? What's the answer? None! None! He hasn't done any evil, and he's done a ton of evil. And so he said, what evil has they done? And they don't answer it. The people don't answer it. They continue to reject and suppress the answer. And they go, crucify him! Release Barabbas! Crucify the Christ! Okay. He was rejected. He was crucified. Barabbas deserved it. Jesus didn't. We did. He took it on. And he was rejected on the cross by the Father. The Father's face turned from him. He we were the one, and then he, and, and then he looked upon us. That's the gospel. And he grants us faith and repentance. And no longer are we rejected by God anymore, but we come to him full of grace. And we're, and we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and we will be not rejected, but accepted. Into his like, into his loving arms. He wants us. Christian, don't feel shame ever about your sin. He welcomes you to acceptance. He'll change you. He sent his spirit to convict you of that sin. He'll transform you, but he wants that relationship with you. He no longer rejects. Because his son took on the wrath that you deserved. And I did. You want to hear the surprise of the text? Here we go. So Samuel goes to God. We read that a little bit. God says, this, this isn't about you, it's me. Everyone, anyone experience a breakup like that in middle school? It's not you, it's me? Or was that just me? <laughs> okay, so, so God says, hey, it's not you. They're rejecting me, okay? And then Samuel goes, okay, I'll tell them how it's going to be like. And there's like a whole like page of uh, Israelites. If you choose the path, if you choose a king, here's how it's going to be. And, you know, you'd summarize it in a number of ways, but like, um, are you guys familiar with taxes? Anyone in here? Um, this is what he says. So you'll be taxed. <laughs> and then the people of God go, give us a king anyways. We don't care about taxes. And then, um, and then the surprise comes in. Okay? So find it. Okay? Uh, we're, we're, at, uh, we're at like close. We're at verse 19. Put your finger on it. Don't read it. Okay? Look up here. Okay? 
essentially they're, they're saying, give us a king. And after rejecting God, the thing that you need to be wondering right now is, okay, all right, I get this whole rejection idea from 1 Samuel 8. Um, but Numa, what if I don't reject God? And kind of the, the uh, again, the jock way to think. This is how I think. Maybe not how you think, but so if I don't reject God, then I'll get what I want, right? Everything will go fine for me, right? And so you see how it's like um, still man-centered, if I, if I do this, then I, 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 it's my life. And so what will happen if I don't reject God? That pearl is found in the next few verses, okay? So here we go. Um, another way to ask it would be, what is it like to live under the rule and reign of Christ? Yeah, I'm for not rejecting the Lord in, in my life. What's it going to be like? Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Verse 21, and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And here it is. And the Lord said to them, to Samuel, obey their voice and make them Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So did you see that? They were asking for a king on their own terms, and God gave them what they wanted. So again, Princess Bride, this is the moment where God says, as you wish, right? We want a king, as you wish, and it was done. So in their rejection and asking, God granted them their request. And so the opposite, friends, just hear me out on this, the opposite can be true. It can be said, if you're asking, what is it like then, living under the rule and reign of Christ and pursuing a life not rejecting him, it would be this, that sometimes we don't get what we want. Ever experienced that in your prayer life? In your life with God? For sure the principle is true. Um, when you pray the heart of God, your desires become his. And that, that is the goal. That's true. But also this is true. I have asked God for things in my life. I've prayed earnestly, and I've been in the Spirit, like, like not in sin. I've been walking with Him, praying, pleading, asking Him for things that are good and are kingdom-minded and that would like advance the gospel and things like that. And He hasn't and doesn't answer my prayers. <laughs> what in the world? Why? Well, I know from my personal experience, in my younger days, um, I have asked with an ambitious heart, and I didn't even realize it, but the Lord did. And he knew what I could handle, and he kept from things in order to protect me and my marriage and my family. 
He's protected this ambitious, prideful young pastor. Praise the Lord. He's protected me from myself, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Has he ever protected you from yourselves? Yeah. yeah. So what do you get? Like, what is it like to live under the rule and reign of Jesus? When he says no, in that process, there is all mercies and kindness of the Lord in his unanswered prayers because he knows us best. He's protecting us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's king. He's ruling. He knows. If you look back now, how grateful are you for unanswered prayers? Right? This wouldn't be the way that I would end this sermon, but this is how the text goes, and this is what the Spirit wants us to see and ask. Maybe not in the moment you're grateful that God isn't answering your prayers, but if you look back, you can see his providence and his protection and his provision. And so this, friends, this is not shallow doctrine, but this is hiding underneath the shade of his trees. This is his protection. So what do you get? Choose not to reject God. You get him. You get him. You get all of him. You get his ministry. You get how he guides and protects and watches over and helps and heals and works and loves. And all of this you get for his glory. Because our God, he will not be mocked. He will not be manipulated. He is a lot bigger than we think he is. And you will learn to embrace and love his rule and reign. We pray for us to that end. Father, we, we do love you. And we don't understand all things because we are not you. We are not God. So we trust and right now that you would work in our lives so that we would embrace your ruling and reign. Lord, help us to, um, from here, identify by your spirit where we, have, um, where we have rejected you, where we have trimmed our sails, where we've been ashamed, where we've compared, uh, where we have substituted. Would you, would you purge us of these things this week and help us and send us on a path of submission unto King Jesus. As a people, I pray that we would not be a church that rejects you, but that we would heartily, wholeheartedly follow after you. Would you do this in our lives for your sake? And it's in Christ's name.